G'day, welcome to my house. And uh, in particular, welcome to my shed. Um, it's a privilege to have you in here and to get a glimpse of the inside workings of how I do life here. And uh, so I'm, I know that I cleaned my workshop for a reason recently and uh, here I am. And thanks to everybody else who is contributing also into these uh, these spaces as well. And, and it's great to be in your lounge rooms today from our house today. Now, while we're in this unique space, we're gonna come back to this sermon series titled Ascent. Now, this is built around the book of Ephesians with an idea of pursuing constant upward motion in our lives as disciples. Now, the more I ponder this letter, the more I think we're right where we need to be in the scriptures at this time. Um, I first shared with a preaching team late last year that this would be the journey we'd go on. And I was rightly asked at the time why we were doing this. Uh, why Ephesians? Why now? Uh, those are always fair questions to be asked because we want to merge with what Jesus is saying to the church, right? And yet I knew something was stirring, but I wasn't entirely sure what God was actually going to say at the start when we were mapping this out. Um, I just had a conviction that the Lord wanted us to focus on this. And the more I'm reading afresh into the setting of, of Ephesians, and the more I'm watching the world events around us unfold, the more I'm seeing that Jesus is going to use this powerfully to speak to our lives and to speak into where we're at. It's also helpful to remember that this is actually written in a state of lockdown. Uh, Paul is in what Acts describes as house detention. He can't go anywhere. He's under guard. He's stuck in those four walls in limbo about his own future. Uh, he's been waiting for his appeal to Caesar to be heard and waiting to know if he can actually get out of his house. Doesn't that sound familiar? And knowing this was his headspace is important because it helps us uh, read into the powerful stuff he's writing in that place. And um, I think his perspective and his response to his surroundings um, may be really helpful uh, in speaking to us in the situations we're in. Let me briefly recap where we've been. We looked uh, a few weeks ago and I asked uh, about what our Artemis was. Um, I asked what one major thing uh, in your life competes with Jesus and holds you back from wholeheartedly following him. Or what is that one thing that always seems to derail our discipleship journey? And uh, can I just honestly say, I'm really blessed by the feedback on that. Some of you were brave and honest, and, um, and there was nothing generic about any of your responses. Um, and it was really cool stuff, and you've reflected well, and I just want to encourage you. As we consider each passage in this series, I want you to uh, um, continually ponder, how do those passages speak into those things? Now, as we engaged with the first passage, we saw some key theological truths encased in exuberant praise. Uh, the first one we learned was that believers, a Christian, are in Christ. This was his pet statement for Christians in, in Ephesians here. We're not kind of around Christ. We're not nearby. We are in Christ. Um, our lives are deeply integrated with Jesus here. Uh, he's the vine, we are the branch. We bear fruit out of an integrated life with the vine. We're in Christ. And in Christ, there is spiritual blessing and special standing. We're described as being chosen, adopted, redeemed, and forgiven. 
All of these things speak of God's work of grace and power in our lives. These are all actions that present God as our source, and they speak of us very clearly as dependents. <coughs> Excuse me. And in Christ, we are predestined. Uh, God began a redemption narrative even before time. Christ is shown to us as divine here because he pre-existed creation and he's co-author in that narrative. The church in Ephesus was the new kid, the new religious kid on the block. And there was at least 50 other deities and religions that could be pursued at that time. Um, but these new ex-pagan Christians are being reminded, they're being encouraged here that they are part of a foretold narrative of the one true God. And that one true God is revealed to us in Christ. Christ is the truth. And all the other deities and even their great Artemis, despite their immense presence, despite their shadows they cast, these were not. And this truth is assured because they had the Holy Spirit as proof. The redemption narrative has an end chapter, and the Holy Spirit in us now is a pledge. Uh, it's a deposit that assures us that we will be part of that chapter also. And with all that going on, we're challenged to do what Paul does here. Look up. That is our upward motion for the next few weeks. Look up. Turn our gaze outside, beyond our housebound spaces, and look to the God who is above all things. You know, many of us are going to have a bit of downtime happening in the weeks to come. And, um, and I see that, friends, as an opportunity for some pretty awesome reflection here, some theological reflection. And if we're brave enough to do this, it's going to birth some revelation. And if we go into that place of revelation, just allowing God to reveal amazing things to us, then it's going to bring our hearts to a place of praise also. We will have no choice but to look up. Anyway, we're going to go deeper now. Uh, let's go into Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15 to 23. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all his people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, uh, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the, Lord, Lord, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of... Uh, of wisdom and revelation, so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his, of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. The power is the, that power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms far above all rule and authority, above all power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. This passage is a bit like the previous one in that it too is a single sentence in the Greek. At the start of this sentence, we see that Paul is breaking into praise and thanksgiving in response to who the Ephesian church has become. He is thankful for the expression that, is, uh, that, that they have become here. He's seeing two key things here, two praiseworthy things in God's people in Ephesus. 
He's commending faith and he's commending love. I just need to say there, if we get these two traits down, we're going to be a pretty powerful people indeed, even in our small groups, even in our smaller setting. Faith and love make major differences. The faith on display here is the state of living in an assured position. It's actually conviction. These guys had an assurance that was admirable. Um, and considering what many of these were coming from, this was a really big deal. Uh, those, there were those who were leaving Judaism. And they needed to take a stand away from works-based religion. They had to step out of law. They had to step out of sacrifice. Uh, and they had to trust that Jesus was the completion of those things. That's a big step in it. And then we have those leaving their pagan ways. And Acts chapter 19 tells us they literally burned their bridges with that. They burned a lot of their, uh, their past and left it behind. In the ancient Greek world, those converting to Christianity had to nail their colors to the mast. And there was no turning back with that. The emperor would need to be told that he would no longer be given annual recognition of lordship. The pagan ways that the families knew would be done away with. Artemis would need, she would need to be told she was no longer great. And that they would live their lives in disregard for her shadow and presence. Their faith was that radical one. The one we sing about. The world behind me, the cross before me sort of stuff. Uh, they were going all in with Jesus here. And, and I'm, I'm of the conviction, friends, that when we talk about that sort of faith, when we talk about faith to the world around us and they, they're looking to us to see what faith looks like, that's what they're looking for. They're actually looking for something that's real, engaged, and sold out. And when we preach faith in Christ, when we ask people to consider the claims of Christ, that's actually what we are preaching also. Faith in Christ is that. We have become accustomed to the 10-minute gospel elevator pitch followed by a prayer. But that's actually quite lacking compared to the faith the scriptures describe. You know what? We need to be, when we've been around faith for a while, it's easy to forget. Um, but we need to be mindful of what it is that people leave when we're called to follow Jesus. It's a wholesale change of life and priorities and, and, um, and they are devoting life to the things that are unseen. So when Paul says, he's, I've heard about your faith, he's talking about a pretty important and powerful expression there. There's no just in cases, there's no exit strategies, there's no plan B. They're just standing in defiance of the loud worldviews around them. But then we think that we see thankfulness for love. And Paul is speaking of the agape kind here. And it's a far-reaching expression. The phrase is love for all the saints. And that word all is telling. You know, Paul is essentially commending love without condition to a people without exclusion. Obviously, that includes all the easy and lovable ones. Yeah, we've got our house church folk, we've got our families, we've got our cultural groups. Uh, we've got the people who are near and dear and the people we admire. But this word all includes the others too, the ones that we don't like as much. Um, it can include the ones who offend, the ones who sin against us, the ones who should know better but choose otherwise, the critical ones. And the ones dealing with their sin, either in secret or in open. So when we think of all believers and love for them, that's what all means. 
Oh, man, I don't know about you, but for me, that's a pretty big reality check. There are believers that I have a hard time liking. But in Christ, there's no excuse for not loving them, agape-style, without condition, without prerequisite. I love what Peter writes. 1 Peter 4 says this, Above all, love each other deeply. The King James says fervent charity. Because love covers a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. That's love. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others. That's love. As faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. Deep love or fervent charity in the Greek is agape coupled with ectenis. That last word speaks of something that stretches the person extending it. It's loving without condition to the point that it stretches and even hurts to do. My question to the church and to every believer is this, is unconditional, all-inclusive love for all believers present in us and stretching us. To get through this time, this is going to be a muscle in our collective body that's going to get a good workout. The Bible has a pretty strong definition of how the Christian expresses faith and love. And it's clearly not an, ex a, uh, an impossible standard because at least one church is currently being commended for it. But it shouldn't come also as a surprise that this is a church that is very much aware of the presence, the ministry and the gifts of the Spirit. If our Christian vocabulary includes faith, love and spirit and grace, we're going to be fine in this lockdown season. And now that faith and love are firmly established, we then see that Paul has a number of prayerful desires for this loving, faithful church. And these are things we probably can briefly look at here and consider them in our, as perhaps growth areas. Um, as disciples in this lockdown time. So the first one is wisdom and revelation. Uh, this is not simply being smarter or more streetwise. Sometimes we call wisdom that. That's not what this is. Um, this is the capacity to use knowledge for good and to be wide open to the things God wants to reveal to us. This is God wanting to show things to us. The spirit of wisdom is all about the work of the Holy Spirit. It's the pneuma, the spirit, giving holy wisdom, Sophia. Revelation is about things being made plain or being revealed or unveiled. The purpose of insight and unveiling is all directed towards knowing God better. God wants to reveal more of himself so that we can actually know him better. And now we have some downtime to actually pursue that. The revelation and wisdom that Paul is praying for is so that they would know God's word, so that they would know his leading, and so that they would know his character. We talk about illuminated hearts here in his prayer. The eyes of the heart opened so that we may know the hope and the inheritance and the power of God. Now, I don't know about you, but in my year nine student days, uh, I did photography and we made pinhole cameras. You know what they are? They're like a shoebox or a small box. You'd poke a hole in one end for light and you put a camera uh, photo paper at the other and you would let light uh, slowly trickle in to this, uh, through this little pinhole. And through a lot of experimentation, you would create some really cool images as you work that through. 
And the idea of having the eyes of the heart opened and an enlightenment resulting is a bit like that process. You see, the word enlightenment in the Greek is photizo. It's the result of having light enter a place and leave a lasting impression. The heart or the inner workings of a person over time opens themselves to the light of God. And the more we allow ourselves to be open to him, the more light comes in and the sharper our image of God becomes. That's what illumination is. And the sharper that image gets, the greater our sense of hope. And the greater our understanding of spiritual inheritance, which is our hope, the greater, and also the grasp of God's power that our future is in his hands. When we have a sharp image of God, we also, that comes with it, a sharp image of our future in him and within our hearts also. The Ephesians had somewhat been trained to live without hope, much like the world today does. You know, in the first century, there was a stoic Greek philosopher who wrote this, fate rules the world. Everything is bound by laws. Eternities are sealed by predetermined events. You know, and um, everyone must bear his appointed lots. It's written by a guy named Manilius in the first century. Um, in other words, life doesn't change, and whatever happens, happens. The gods are unmoving and aloof. The watch of the earth has been wound, and it's going to run its course. Um, you know, whatever's going on in your life right now, well, that's always going to be. And life beyond that, well, as he actually said, is he actually writes that pursuing anything beyond the life we live now is pointless fuss. That's what Ephesus have been trained to believe. But Paul says no to all that. There is a hope that we have that the world doesn't have. And the more time we spend in the Spirit, the more of an impression within us the hope becomes. And the final idea of this prayer is that the believer knows God's power and authority. We're going to need that in oodles over the weeks to come, I believe. You know what? We, you know, God is going to, if we are open to God, He will reveal the wisdom of the Spirit to us and it will override the wisdom of the world. We can open our hearts to the light of God and He can reveal things in us and to us. And we have an opportunity in this lockdown period to be um, full of fresh revelation about God's power if we open our hearts to Him. And the power that Paul wants us to know is a pretty big one. It's the power that raised Christ from the dead. It's the power that raised, elevated Christ above all other names. It's a big deal to the Greeks here. They had seemingly powerful religious expressions in their life already, but Jesus is being presented as above those things. They had giants of wisdom to draw from in the Greek philosophers, but the wisdom and the enlightenment that would come from the Holy Spirit would surpass all that. They were being invited prayerfully into something amazing. Knowing God and being empowered and enlightened in a way that they, that they would have sought many other ways, 50 other ways. But we would only truly find in Christ. And speaking of Christ, the last verse speaks volumes about it. God places all things under the feet of Christ. That is a symbol of a defeated foe at the hands of Christ. And then God places Jesus at the head of the church, this all-powerful one which God honours and who has defeated all enemies, including death, is the head of the gatherings of believers around the city. 
and the small groups. The small groups have met across in, home, in homes across the city, sometimes a secret. They've been told that they're no ordinary entities and neither are you. All of them play a part in being the body of Christ. And the body of Christ is full of the fullness of God. There's something noticeably powerful and attractive in us. We are supposed to be full of Christ. Colossians 1.19 tells us that God is, was pleased to have his fullness dwell in him, which is Christ. That so God fills Christ, and in turn, Christ fills the church. I love what Eugene Peterson actually writes in the message version of that verse. He says, this at the center of all this, Christ rules the church. The church, you see, is not peripheral to the world, but the world is peripheral to the church. The church is Christ's body in which he speaks and acts, by which he fills everything with his presence. You know what? Where we, you know what? The Ephesians were the 51st religion on the block, meeting house to house through necessity, containing people who had left their old lives behind. And yet, despite their small numbers, they were never more influential, never more powerful, never more full of hope than they were in those settings. And Paul, in his place of lockdown, is full of praise to God and encouragement to them for all of that. So let's bring this all to a close. Paul is commending some really pivotal things that are present in Ephesus. And in our lockdown time, friends, we have the opportunity, we have the chance to explore these things within our own hearts and build these as muscles in, in readiness for when we can finally get out there and do our thing. Why don't we start with the simple things, faith and love, and how, ask how those things are going in us. Um, let me be honest, is faith an all or nothing deal, or do we have exit strategies? Um, is it something that causes us to take spirit-led risks? Um, is it something that we hold to completely, or do we put a bit too much trust in other things and thoughts? Does our Artemis get in the way? Is doubt getting in the way of that? Is love for all the saints the expression we're living for? That is unconditional and all-inclusive love for all believers, including the hard ones. Is our Artemis something that actually stifles our love for others? Just as I was preparing this last part, I was reminded that love and faith are deeply intertwined together in Scripture, and they both share an opposite expression. It's fear. The world is fearful. And when our hope develops, our countenance will be refreshingly different to the world around us. And this is because love and faith are a one-two punch in the face of fear. Some of us would actually name fear as their Artemis. So that I would say, go back to faith and love and see how these are played out in our lives. Because these both serve as worthy antidotes to our fears. Then there's the other things, the deeper things. The things we have a chance to work on in our isolated settings for a while. Are we continually getting that sense of wisdom and revelation from the Holy Spirit? Are we... Knowing God more and more in our faith, is there more and more light coming into our hearts? Is the heart of God being revealed to us more and more and just becoming more and more profound in us? 
Are we faithful to being a bodily expression of Christ? At this season, particularly to our neighbours, and I might say safely there, there's my disclaimer. disclaimer. But can we be love and the hands and feet of Jesus at this time? You know, Christ is full of God and the church is full of Christ. And that's too powerful to be trivial. We're called to be an expression that operates in faith-driven power. We're to be an expression that emits spirit-driven light. And to be an expression that displays God-placed love, the unconditional, the all-inclusive, sacrificial, without-limit sort of love that we're both the recipients of and the extenders of also.